The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph. A beautiful young mom goes missing. And now the worst. Bellamy Gamboa has been the subject of... Um, much controversy swirling around her disappearance at this hour still no indication of where is Bellamy Gamboa but in the last hours stunning developments take place I'm Nancy Grace this is Crime Stories thank you for being with us with me Lee Egan CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter Joseph Scott Morgan, forensics expert and author of Blood Beneath My Feet. Kathleen Murphy, high-profile North Carolina lawyer and special guest joining me right now. Bellamy Gamboa's sister, Sharice Gamboa. Sharice, thank you so much for being with us. I know that this entire ordeal has been devastating to your family. Sharice, tell me what led up to 
Bellamy's disappearance. Let's start with how did you discover Bellamy was missing? Well, I live here in Orange County, California, and it was a Monday. Um, it was a Monday evening, maybe about 5 p.m. my uh, Pacific time, and my father was calling me, and I happened to be walking my my dog. I did not bring both of my cell phones with me um, that evening. I don't know why, but I came back to my apartment, and both phones were just uh, blowing up with family members calling me, asking me. Uh, my so I finally picked up my father's call and he asked me when the last time I spoke to Bellamy and I said well verbally I mean was like Mother's Day sadly um, because of the way we all socialize by text and social media Um, I told him the last time we actually texted each other was Friday and then Sunday we were on Instagram so you were in touch by Texting and Instagram, you know, I'm, I'm very often the same way with my sister. She's um, a college professor, and she works a lot of hours. She's got two kids. I have two children and work. And a lot of times, the only way we can really talk is by texting because she's on a three-hour time difference than me. I, I, I know what you mean. So when your father called you and asked you when was the last time you talked to her, did you have any indication that there was anything wrong? The minute he said she did not show up to work today and text the two teens, my my heart dropped. I think I unfortunately already felt something was wrong. We are getting breaking news uh, regarding the disappearance of Bellamy Gamboa. Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. I want to hear about the day she goes missing. I think we identified that it was around Sunday, between a Sunday and a Monday, and I found very, very peculiar the location where her vehicle was found. What can you tell me about that? Well, Nancy, her vehicle was found in an apartment complex around four miles away from our residence in Virginia Beach. But the issue is she would never go to this place. She's never been there before. There would be no reason for her car to be there. And it was parked in a way where it was in front of a dumpster where the workers could not get in and empty the trash. And it wasn't moved for hours, and they had to call and have it actually towed from there into an impound. Okay. We're talking about missing Bellamy Gamboa, uh, a, a young and absolutely stunning young mom. Cherise, question to you. Did the family know throughout her relationship uh, with her boyfriend Lamont Johnson, did the family know that he was beating her? Uh, we were not given that information directly from her. We did hear it through certain family members, and you know, we, as her family, reached out to her, and we would encourage her and ask her to leave unhealthy situations. But we didn't see or you know hear any proof. And if we did, of course, we would do anything in our power to just get her out of there, get her out of the situation. But with the twins, it's, it's what she wouldn't budge because of the, the twins. So you knew about it. Did you personally talk to her about the domestic abuse? Knowing my sister, uh, when she would refer to Lamont, there were times when they were out having dinner together or just even out going to a movie, and she would let me know that but not necessarily anything that was um, about abuse. And um, she did 
however, informed me last May of 2017 about how his family was treating her and how they did um, take the twins from her, I I've think, a for question. about a month. I've got a question for you. So yes, you did or did not know, I'm not clear on this, that she was getting beaten in the home? I did not know. Okay. Did anybody in your family know? Not immediate family, but relatives, yes. How did they know? She told them. Okay. Did they tell you guys? They didn't. Um, not until after the fact. And, and yeah. her children, her daughter um, and her, son, her teens actually you know, saw bruises on her. And my sister would, of course, make excuses about them. You know, uh, I have worked at the Battered Women's Center for nearly 10 years as a volunteer on the hotline uh, when I would be prosecuting during the day, and I learned so much, uh, especially how very often women keep it a secret. But I know one person knew about it, and that was the operator, the 911 operator that took this call. Listen. Hello, this is Ann with Virginia Beach 911. Where's the emergency? I'll be okay. I can't. I, I'll be all right. Just well, we're gonna we're gonna it. get you some help. What happened? Where are you, okay? I don't need any help. You said you were at six two four Spirit Court, right? Yeah. Okay. What happened? We just got into a fight. That's all. But it's all right. I'm fine. They 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 got into I don't you have and your. Broken bones. Okay, who got into a fight? Who fought with He's you? He's leaving with my twins. He's leaving with our kids. So it's it's Okay, right. he beat it's you. Like... No, well. He you he fought with you. No, he didn't touch my face. He but he he did hit you. Are you injured? No, I'm okay. Okay. I'm all right. But but, but but he did hit you. I mean, I fell, but I, I'll be okay, ma'am. Okay. It was our first fight, so I'm... And he, you, said he, you said he took your child? We have twins together. So he, so he took two children? He's not going anywhere with them. He'll okay. wait here, and I'll explain if they have to show up. Okay, yeah, they're going to come and speak with you and make sure you're okay. Where did, where did he All right, go? I'm fine. Stay on the He's phone with me, okay? Okay, ma'am. Is he sitting in the, in the house with you? Yes. Okay. Okay, can you repeat, can you tell me your address for verification purposes, okay? Is there a specific, is there a specific apartment number? No. Okay, so what, can you just repeat the address for me, please? Can you just tell me the address where you're at? One more time, just for no. verification. No, because it'll just get worse. You don't want to tell me it again? No. I don't want him to take the twins anywhere. And then you're going to be looking for him, and then it's just going to get worse. And I already have okay. two other kids, and I don't, just, I just had them to go. I don't even want to go through this. There was okay. one question that I asked him, and then he got upset, and then he got into a big fight. And he's pretty big, so I don't okay. know. Okay, what's he look like? Is he white, black, Hispanic, Asian? He's black and big. He's... Okay, what's he wearing? What's you can't color? take them. They already heard. You can't take them. Where are you going to take them? You can't take them. They're going to make you bring them back. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You're not supposed uh, to put your hands on what, anybody. Ma'am, what, what's your name? You said 
your name? Yeah. Okay. All They're right. here, ma'am. They're here? Okay, I'm going to let you go ahead and speak with okay, police, thank okay? Thank you. I, I have to tell you that as I was listening to Bellamy crying and sobbing on the phone, I physically found myself cringing. My body just cringing as I listened. And it took me back to the days in court when I would have to play 911 calls in front of a jury. And they would hear in the moment the anguish and the suffering that was happening at that moment. And now Bellamy is gone. You heard her on the phone at the time her ex was taking away the twins, the infant twin, then infant twins. And the anguish in her voice. Nothing was done. Nothing. And now she's gone. Why? Why? We're looking for her body. And in my mind, this entire scenario, this domino effect of domestic beatings ending in what I believe to be her murder could have been stopped. With me, Dr. Judith Joseph, uh, renowned New York psychiatrist. Dr. Judith, thank you for being with us in a nutshell. And I know that's hard to do. I, I read about it. I took classes on it. I dealt with it on a hotline. But why is it moms don't leave when they're being beaten? Do they think it's going to get better? Nancy, this, that phone call was terrifying. I mean, I, when I listened to it, I got chills. And, and typically, from what I understand about domestic violence is that it is a cycle. And she sounded terrified. I was terrified for her. And fear is extremely uh, crippling. And when someone is threatening to rip apart a mother and her child, that is torture. It may not be physically painful, but it is emotionally abusive. And mothers will do anything for their children. You've seen the mama bear, you've seen the, 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 the mama lion. They will do anything to stay attached to their children. And, and she was trying to be there for her children. And that's, you know, I haven't treated her, I haven't met her. However, I've seen a lot of cases like this. And you know, it's, it's very tempting to think, well, why didn't she leave? Why didn't she just run away? Why didn't the family do something? Because those children are there. And it's not as straightforward as one might think. So I think that she was being abused on both a physical level and an emotional level. And one would argue that the emotional abuse, that threat to tear apart a mother from her twins, from her babies, that's more painful than any physical abuse that one can suffer. Well, and also to Joseph Scott Morgan, forensics expert, professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, death investigator and author, Joe Scott she would be covered in bruises. Her, her children saw it. You, or the other, she, she got a, a, a teenage children as well. They saw it. They saw bruises all over mommy. And you heard her on the 911, I fell. B.S. She did not fall. He beat her. And now I'm telling you, I don't know where her body is, but she's dead. And I'm telling you, he did it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you, Nancy. How can you uh, sound so calm? Yeah, I agree. The woman has been beaten for God only knows how long. 
because she didn't tell her family. Her children, the teens, saw bruises, but nobody knew. Now she's, quote, missing, missing. She's dead, Joe Scott, and this whole thing could have been stopped if she had been convinced to leave that home. Yeah, this is not something that just happened in a vacuum just in a moment. Uh, I think that it, it was probably going on for some time. Go back to the 911 call. You heard her uh, in fear, in terror on that line. And you know what was absent in there, Nancy, is that in this heated moment, uh, this guy was not backing down, but he wasn't saying anything either. Can you imagine him scowling at her across the room, maybe mouthing words at her, threatening her, and she's terrified. She wouldn't even she, – she didn't even want to go back and give the address where she was. He had you hear implanted her say, it'll just fear. make it worse. It'll just get worse. Yeah, if it I will. Give the address, yeah. It'll just get worse. Yeah, and and you know he's he's shaking proverbial fist in her face, and you don't have to do that verbally, do you? You know he he can do this in nonverbal, nonverbally, and this has been going on for a while. She knew what was going on here, and it's, it's terrifying. And yeah, I agree with sick. you. I it's think it's making that, me sick, Joe Scott. With me right now, Kathleen Murphy, renowned lawyer. Kathleen, just tell me one thing, one thing, and it, this is a truth that I don't like. The truth, many of them, this is one of them, domestic homicides get pled down to manslaughter. They get pled down to voluntary or even involuntary manslaughter. The person might, might get seven years and they'll walk in about five. Why is it? that so often domestic abuse, which I consider to be murder, is pled down and the person gets a light sentence. Why is that, Kathleen? They're not taking it seriously. And that is a big problem because in family court, I have a case that's coming up now and my client is clearly terrified of her husband and you want the court to consider factors of domestic violence because this guy was using these children against this mother. And that happens every day. It is the leverage. And so the victim does not participate in the process because of these children. And the law needs to change and allow parents who are victims of domestic violence to keep their children safe and secure. And that is not happening. Kathleen Murphy, uh, North Carolina lawyer, let me tell you a little story. I had just managed to fight my way out of juvenile, which, you know, in juvenile court, there's not juries. You don't have rules of evidence. It's kind of like you try a case with a, a kind of a judge and a uh, psych psychologist or a, a therapist. Somebody's in there, and the parents, it's kind of like you all sit around and you figure out what's the best thing for the perp, okay, because they're a, a juvenile. Okay. I got out of that, and I made it to, quote, big court. And uh, I had one of my first arraignment calendars, 150 new felonies. We're in a big court now. And I saw a woman from the side of my, my eyes walk in with crutches. Crutches, Kathleen. She came in with her husband begging me to drop charges. She had a broken leg, Kathleen. A broken leg, and I did not know what was right. I didn't know what was wrong. She was begging me to drop charges. Kathleen, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I Thank said, you. listen, 
I know you want to drop charges. And I looked right at the husband and said, but I'm the one bringing these charges, not you. So it's not your Thank fault. You. It's my fault. And, oh, I'll never forget. It's giving me chills on my arms remembering it. When I hear this 911 call, let me just get to the point. Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. What is the latest in the search for Bellamy Gamboa? Well, so far they are searching the, apparently the, the, the ex-boyfriend, his name is Lamont Johnson. He told them that he put her in the Chesapeake area. He didn't say exactly where, just well, somewhere well, well, in the well, Chesapeake. Wait, wait. Let's be specifically, he did not say he, quote, put her in the Chesapeake area. Let's talk about what he actually said. That he pushed Gamboa down the stairs. Wow, that's eerily reminiscent of her 911 call where she says she fell. Pushed her down the stairs, quote, fell on top of on top of her. That is a lie, not fall on top of her. And then choked her until she died. Documents that we have just obtained say he then put her in a bag and brought her to Chesapeake. Is that a little more like what he said, Lee, now that he put her in the bay, like he gently laid her there for her to float on her back for a while? That is absolutely exactly what he said. I mean, Lee, I want to hear the truth. I don't want some sugar-coated, airbrushed version of what happened. Now, what happened? He killed her. He, exactly what you said, he claims that he fell on top of her. I, I don't see how he can just fall on top of her. He began strangling her until she died. And then he put her in a bag and, and dumped her body. Lee, I'm not angry at you. That's not it. I used to do the same thing. You sugarcoat it because it hurts. It actually tastes bad in your mouth to actually say what was done to this mm-hmm. beautiful young mom. And now, with me is Bellamy's sister, Sharice. Sharice, he has just been charged, we're learning, with second-degree murder and four counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Sharice Gamboa, with me, the sister of Bellamy. Tell me your reaction to what you are learning about the hell your sister was living through. Just... um unending an unending nightmare a cry for help and i wish that i was in virginia every day now so please do not blame yourself don't because very often the family the sister the parents they don't know because the woman doesn't tell them because she's either ashamed or embarrassed doesn't want the children to be taken away and Right. You you live on the other side of the country. There is no way she was telling you, and there was no way you could have known. It's all about finding her body now and her, of those children. Guys, Sharice uh, has given me an updated tip line. If you have any information, if you saw anything, that number is 757-385-4101. Repeat, 757 385 
4101. We will not rest until her remains have been found. And this man is behind bars for life. You know what? It is so hard to work cold cases. I know. I have worked them myself, especially when you know your co-workers and colleagues have already worked the case. But there's a former prosecutor named Kelly Siegler who is a true champion for justice, and she is on a mission across America. What I love about Oxygen's cold justice program is that Kelly and her team of detectives take on real unsolved murder cases and get real answers for victims and their families. You will love how immersive this show is. You feel like you're right there with the team riding shotgun. They are passionate crusaders for justice, and I like that. That's what makes each case so personal to this team. Watch the new season of Cold Justice Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 Central on Oxygen. You can't give up hope. I mean, I know if, if it were me that were missing, Molly wouldn't give up hope. Young, healthy, beautiful, a college student loved by her family and boyfriend, the world in front of her missing. Where is Molly Tibbetts? The search is on. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. Now, it had been put out there that Molly vanished while jogging, and I picked the evidence apart along with our awesome investigative team, and it didn't seem right to me. It was not conclusive that she was taken while jogging. I could not establish a timeline, and we all know that's where you start with any investigation. The timeline was off in my mind. It didn't make sense, and now we are hearing the very latest is that the missing University of Iowa student, just 20 years old, actually returned to her boyfriend's house after the jog. And she sent the boyfriend a final Snapchat before she mysteriously disappears seemingly into thin air. And this is according to the FBI. Now, this is making sense based on the facts that we know. Repeat, breaking news right now. According to the FBI, they are telling us Molly did not go missing from a jog. And that's a fatal flaw. That's a fatal flaw because for days now, we've been taking that as truth and that has been the basis of the investigation. That's not what happened. She was back in the boyfriend's home. Now, before you leap to the idea it was the boyfriend, which I did too because statistically that's true, it was not the boyfriend. The boyfriend is cleared. He was working a couple hours away in Dubuque. He wasn't there. It's not him. So that leaves me with thinking of a stranger-on-stranger attack. Mm, mm, Let's just go straight out uh, to Lee Egan. With me is Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, renowned New York psychologist Karen Stark, judge and advocate, founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com, Ashley Wilcott, and cop-turned-PI Vincent Hill, special guest joining me right now relative and close friend, confidant of Molly, Morgan Collum. Lee, hold on a moment. I want to go to Morgan first. Morgan, first of all, 
please pass on to the family about all the prayers that are being sent up to bring Molly home. Number one. Number two, when did you learn Molly was missing? I learned that she was missing uh, Thursday, July 19th. I had gone to a movie with my cousin Joe and my cousin Jake, who is Molly's older brother. And I had received a text message from my stepsister who works with um, one of her best friends works with Molly. And she had sent me a text prior to the movie starting asking if I had heard from Molly that day because she didn't show up for work. She works at a day camp for children in Grinnell, Iowa. And I did think that was odd. It's out of character for her to simply not show up for work without a phone call or a reason why. You know, that's interesting, Morgan. And you may be able to shed some light on this for me because I was told that the day before she went missing, the work day before she went missing, the counselors at the camp or the daycare had been handed out some red t-shirts they were to wear the next day. They were going on a field trip, I think. Uh-huh. And Molly's red t-shirt could not be found. Is that true? Yeah, we have looked at the house where she was staying, where her boyfriend lives. And then we had also checked her house um, that her mom owns where she lives, you know, with her siblings. Cause she kind of bounces back and forth to both places. And We checked in the vehicle that she shares with her brother, and we cannot find that shirt. See, the the reason I care about the shirt, Morgan, uh, guys with me is relative and confidant, close friend of Molly Tibbetts, now missing, and I can only imagine what her family's going through. I don't even want to put this out there. If one of my twins was missing, I I just, as I always say, just lay me on the railroad tracks because I, I don't even want to live without them. I know her family is devastated. Right now, there's a chance we can bring Molly home. And I'm focusing on this red t-shirt for a reason, because it goes back to the timeline. She was supposed to wear that the following morning. If she was, if she disappeared the night before, it should still be somewhere in her closet, laid out to wear the next day, folded up in a stack in the bathroom, somewhere, in her backpack, in her car. We can't find it. That says to me that she may have been alive the following morning and had put it on to go to work when something went sideways. That's why I care about her red T-shirt. Morgan, does this making any sense at all, what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. Uh, You know, my family and I have rattled our brains trying to think of what the timeline could be, what could have possibly happened, and you know, for the longest time, we had told ourselves, oh, that's out of the norm for Molly. She wouldn't do anything like that. And we had to stop thinking that way because, you know, we we just need to be open to different possibilities of what could have happened. And it's difficult, but yeah, but I understand the red shirt. You mean she wouldn't just disappear on her own? Is that what you're saying? Right. Absolutely. We do not think that she would have ever done something like that. So that that really didn't even cross our minds. We were just more so thinking, you know, what routes did she run that evening? Who saw her? You know, was the house unlocked? Just various things like that. Let me ask you this. We know now that she did jog that evening Mm -hmm. and apparently came back to the boyfriend's house where she was dog sitting. Do I have that much right? Right. Okay. 
Do we have any idea what time that was she came back to the house? I'm not sure. Um, she usually does a pretty lengthy run. So my guess is it would have taken her possibly over a half hour to maybe 40, 45 minutes. Was she the kind of person that liked to run in the evening? I used to love to run at night after work, you know, just before it was getting dark or after it was dark. Then, you know, once I had the twins, I have to get up first thing in the morning before they're awake and do whatever I'm going to do. Because once they're awake, it's, it's you know, full on 24-7, 365 with them. <laughs> so was she a nighttime runner or an evening runner, Morgan? Yes. I would say um, right before the sun was about to set, which here for us, that's, you know, right around that 6, 7 o'clock time frame that she likes to go. Um, and then typically she'll eat supper after she's done having her run. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to run after they eat. Not that I yeah. know of anyway. <laughs> so let me get this straight. The reason I'm asking, I'm back on the timeline. I hate to be a harpy, but I'm trying to figure this thing out. So if she runs in the evening, was there any evidence that she had had dinner, supper that night, a drive through receipt, use of an ATM, uh, evidence she cooked in the home anything like that to show me she had dinner after she ran no not that we're aware of um the interesting comment that i have to make about that she had actually been in a texting conversation with my aunt laura who's molly's mother and molly had shared with my aunt that she had planned to come over for supper that night and she didn't end up coming over for supper which concerned me but my aunt had said that that's not out of the norm for Molly to say she's going to come over for supper and then not come over for supper. Hmm. Um, so as far as did she eat anything? What did she eat? I'm not sure. Yeah, and the only reason I ask is if there's evidence that she had, you know, made a sandwich or, or cooked something and there was trash in the trash can. I mean, she was the one living there while the boyfriend was out of town. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, don't, don't, don't laugh at me, Vincent Hill. <laughs> you remember uh, very often, and they still do it in the tabloids, you know, the Inquirer, the Globe, the Star. They'll go through celebrities' trash and they'll like lay it all out and then take a picture of it. And they'll say something like, oh, look, you know, Liz Taylor had six buckets of ice cream <laughs> in just two days. <laughs> Things like that. All right. So what I'm saying is, but then fast forward, I remember uh, many times you see on TV, you look out your kitchen window, there's the FBI picking through your trash. That's not a good thing. It's for a reason, because it shows you something. I wonder if the cops looked in the trash to see, did she make a Lean Cuisine or an Annie's Bowl or whatever? Because that's helping me with my timeline, Vincent. Nancy, you're absolutely right. I mean, when I was working narcotics, we would do what was known as a trash pull to look for things that led to the belief that there was narcotics. So when you're looking at a missing person, you do want to look at these things like, hey, did she recently eat? Is there a receipt? Is there a box from a frozen meal? Is there a dish in the sink? You want to look at all of these things to establish some type of timeline. And if there was no forced entry inside that home, which we haven't heard any wind of, that makes you question big time. Was it someone she knew? Was the door unlocked? Did she answer the door? Maybe she ordered the pizza? And we, we don't know, Nancy. There's so many questions. Did she typically use her cell phone, Morgan, or was she, would she have used a landline? She would have used her cell phone. Yep, 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 yep. The other day, Morgan, my twins are 10, the landline rang, and they said, what's that? 
I said, children, <laughs> that's what we call a landline. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we use it so rarely. They didn't even know what it was. So, Morgan, once you, you're telling me you found out Molly was missing the day she didn't show up for work at the daycare. What happened next? Right. So my cousins and I had gone to a movie on Thursday afternoon, and my cousin Jake, who was sitting next to me in the theater, kept getting phone calls. And I mean, he received probably eight phone calls. And finally, he said to me, I'm going to go step outside of the theater. My phone won't stop ringing. I have this call from a number I don't recognize. And he was outside of the theater for a majority of the movie. And it, it was really strange. Um, I remember telling my cousin Joe, who was also there with us, that I was going to get out my cell phone and send a text to Jake and just ask him if everything was okay. And when I did pull out my cell phone to check, I noticed that I had a missed call from my dad, who's Molly's uncle, my brother, who's Molly's cousin, my cousin Scott, who is Molly's brother, um, you know, and, and from Molly's mother. And that was definitely concerning. I knew right away that something was not right. Um, and it wasn't really until we got home from our movie that reality kind of set in. Um, the cops had been called. They were at the scene of where she had gone missing. And it just, it, it was terrifying. Um, I, it's hard to describe that feeling when you know that something's not right and you're seeing all of the pieces kind of come together and you know, there's, there's somebody that I love that's missing and I have no idea, <laughs> you know, it's, it's frustrating and it's scary. Morgan, how are her parents, how's her family doing? They're hanging in there. Um, you know, they're just taking things one day at a time. Um, my aunt, who's Molly's mother is being incredibly strong and she is, remaining incredibly hopeful and you know like I said just taking things one day at a time obviously we're Morgan let me ask you this uh has Molly ever gone missing before has she just gone away for the weekend and not told anybody no Molly is a very social creature and she is constantly in communication with her friends or her family or her boyfriend and someone Someone always knows where she is. Most like, I mean, she, because she's social, she's usually with people constantly. She's not the type of person that um, is alone often. I mean, if she is, it's when she's going for a run or, you know, in the case of Wednesday evening when she was dog sitting and no one else was there. But, but typically she's always surrounded by friends or she's with her boyfriend or she's with family. She's very, very social. Is it true, Morgan, that she, when she ran, she liked to run through cornfields? Cause I've never heard of that. No, that is not true. <laughs> I'm so glad you told me that. I've never heard of anybody running through cornfields because you know, there's corn snakes. Uh, there's there's right. just, uh, you just uh, uh, uh. no, I'm glad you dispel that myth that never made sense to me having grown up around cornfields. Yeah, that, that would be incredibly difficult to run through a cornfield. <laughs> hey, 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 Nancy, can I, can I interject really quick? Jump in. Hey, so I, I do have a question for Morgan since she was dog sitting and this could be very crucial. You know, smaller dogs can't hold their urge to go to the restroom is 
much as bigger dogs. So what kind of dogs would she actually dog sit? Because that could be crucial if there was something inside the house like dog urine, dog feces. That could be crucial to the timeline. Right. Um, they're larger size dogs. I know, I think one of them is a yellow lab, so it's a good size dog. And the other one, I'm not sure on the breed, but I do know that it's a larger size dog. We've learned the dogs are kept in the basement. Typically, that's where they stay. Were the dogs back in the basement, Morgan? Because that would tell me she had gotten back and put them in the basement. I was told that they were in the basement, yes. And I know we sound like we're splitting hairs, but... At this point, we're trying so hard to help find Molly. Guys, if you have information, there is a financial reward. The tip line's 800-452-1111. We'll be back with Morgan, friend and relative of Molly. We're looking desperately to bring home Molly Tibbs. Listen to what Molly's mother says to ABC. My son, Scott, he gave me a call about 5... Um, 15 p.m. saying, Mom, did you know Molly didn't go to work? At which point I said, I will be right home. She's in big trouble. <laughs> She's making me do TV interviews. Because <laughs> she was very comfortable going on stage. And, you know, I, I'm not. But, you know, finally I was like, okay, if this is what it takes to get the word out there and get Molly home, I'll do it. Because you can't give up hope. I mean, I know if if... It were me that were missing, Molly wouldn't give up hope. It's just been um, excruciating, mind-numbing, you know, all the range of emotions. You won't see me giving up hope. There's, that's, that's not an option. There's really no clues. There's a DCI agent who said she's been in the business for 23 years and only one other case where she had so few leads. So I can't speculate. I'm just hoping for the best. The desperate search for Molly Tibbetts, beautiful, young, healthy, in love, about to move into her first apartment. She goes jogging, gets back, Snapchats her boyfriend who's out of town, and she's never heard from again. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Please help us bring home Molly. Tip line 800-452-1111. To Lee Egan with me, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. We are now learning that the timeline we first heard was all wrong. This is significant. She was not snatched while she was out jogging. Okay. She got back to the boyfriend's home and Snapchatted him before she mysteriously disappears. Lee Egan, who actually called 911 to report her missing? Who was that? That was Molly's mother. She called right after her son, Molly's brother, told her that Molly had missed work that day. Lee Egan, what more do we know right now? We have uh, new information that authorities have determined that she did log into her laptop on the evening of Wednesday, July 18th to work on some kind of school project. They're saying it's late in the evening, but they're not giving an exact time because they said it it's private to the investigation. And then we also know another neighbor came forward and said that he too saw her walking down the road in their neighborhood. Well, he said she was walking nonchalantly 
as if she had no care in the world. I bet that was after she went running. Because, you know, with me is Morgan Collum, Molly's a friend, confidant, relative. If she were running, that's one thing. But then when you finish your run, many people will, like, walk a few minutes as they're walking back to their destination or they're cooling down. That tells me that's what she was doing right then when he saw her just walking nonchalantly. But, Nancy, this is Ashley. It all depends on the chronological time frame of this, right? Like we've talked about in the chronology. So, yes, that might have been it. But I have to play devil's advocate. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that she's okay. Because at this point, we don't have enough evidence. And thank God law enforcement's looking at both sides of this. We don't know if she may have, even though it's out of character, even though she's never done it, had enough and said, I'm I'm going to go on on vacation or I'm going to go take off and do this. And maybe it's irresponsible. But but at her age, we act irresponsibly sometimes or did something really happen to her. So these time frames are so imperative because we really don't know which of these two things happened. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Ash. Uh, with me, Ashley Wilcott, judge, lawyer, founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com. With me, Karen Stark, Lee Egan, Vincent Hill and Morgan Collum. Morgan Let's talk about what Ashley brought up. Did she just take a powder? Did she go away? Right. Um, where was her? Do we know where her cell phone is? Does she have her cell phone with her? We presume that she had her cell phone with her. Um, one thing that, you know, we had ha- talked about as well, um, her boyfriend's brother and his fiance are actually to be getting married later this week down in the Dominican Republic. And Molly had her passport for that she was extremely excited to take that trip she'd been talking about it for months um she loves her job she's currently taking a college class and you know we think we just don't think that she would have often gone because of those also because i think she would feel extremely guilty having known how much pain and hurt we've been experiencing since she's been gone um you know we did run that scenario through our heads very briefly and it was dismissed we we don't think that she would have run off like that let's talk about it i think you're right from what i know of molly what i've gleaned about molly but let's put it to rest where was her driver's license and credit cards where were they her wallet what i've been told was at the house where she was last seen Okay, I find it very difficult to believe that somebody's going to take off Karen Stark, uh, Karen Stark, uh, renowned New York psychologist, without their ID. Cell phone says to me that maybe she grabbed it on her way out. I, I don't know what the cell phone means to me yet. But I do know if I were leaving to go to, to just vanish, I would need at least an ID. At least an ID, just my driver's license. But she left her wallet behind, driver's license, ATM, credit cards, everything. Yeah. Yes, I agree, Nancy. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Cell phone, we hardly go anywhere without our cell phones these days. So even if she took a little walk, she might take her cell phone. But any place important, she would know to take her wallet, I mean, just to get extra cash. And it had her ATM. So I don't, I don't see her just going out, deciding that she's going to take a trip somewhere and leaving something that important behind. This also brings up the brother. The longtime boyfriend, Dalton Jack, is not a suspect. 
um, we know that the Snapchat from her around 10 p.m. the night she goes missing appears to be taken indoors. All right. So the jog was done. Morgan, do you understand that the Snapchat was sent around 10 p.m. or he opened it around 10 p.m.? To my knowledge, it was sent around 10 p.m. Um, just based on what I've heard, it sounds like her boyfriend Dalton was getting pretty sleepy. And I believe that he had fallen asleep and then no, opened the Snapchat the next morning. But the sent time would have been around 10. So that in my mind, places her alive at 10, unless somebody's smart enough to break into her Snapchat and send the photo to the boyfriend, which I doubt. So I've got her alive at 10 o'clock. Everything seems to be normal because she's sending a Snapchat. What in the hay happened after 10 o'clock? To Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. Lee, that Snapchat may be central to this case. What do we know about the Snapchat? Yeah, it absolutely would. But we're getting a bit of differing information. Uh, Police reported that Dalton opened it at 10 p.m. and they are still not clear when it was sent, unless there was something new that developed since then. That was the last we heard. Okay. So that tells me I can't rely on that for my timeline. Okay. We are on the search for Molly Tibbetts. Last seen visually out jogging, she was a University of Iowa student looking forward to a big trip to the Dominican Republic for a destination wedding, her boyfriend's brother getting married. Where was the boyfriend's brother, Morgan, the night she goes missing? He was out of town, uh, but I do know that he was out of town somewhere. So he's out of town. Um Did he travel? What was his job? To my knowledge, I think he recently opened his own construction company. Um, And I think that that could have possibly been that he was out of town for his his work. You're right. He was out of town. He was out of town with his girlfriend somewhere. All right. So the reason I was asking is to rule him out as well, because this is a home shared by the boyfriend and the boyfriend's brother. We are on the search for Molly Tibbetts. Take a listen to this. Uh, What you're hearing is the boyfriend, Dalton Jack, discussing Molly with WOITV5. This is not like her. I figured, you know, I'd speak to her in an hour or so. I came home as soon as her mom said that she called the hospital and she wasn't there. The last time the 20-year-old saw Molly was on Wednesday at 10 p.m. when he opened a Snapchat from her. It was just a selfie with the caption, and I don't remember what the caption said, but it looked like she was inside. One of her co-workers called me and said Molly had not called in to work that day and she hadn't showed up. And then I looked at the messages and she hadn't opened or read any of them. So... I started getting in contact with her friends and her family saying, hey, have you seen her? Have you heard from her? And everybody came up with the same thing. No, I haven't seen her since yesterday. If this is her running off, this is just nobody would have seen coming. Nobody in in the world, not her family, not me. Nobody would have ever guessed that she would just take off and not tell anybody. Take a listen to what Molly's mother says to ABC. She was very much so looking forward to this um, 
vacation she and Dalton were going to take to the Dominican Republic. First part of August, she had her first passport. To Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. Lee, tell me how police and the FBI are using Molly's Fitbit. What they're trying to do is get GPS information off of her Fitbit. And they're also, they're trying to figure out her heart rate at the time of the time she goes missing and if there was any major activity during that time to show any distress. You know, what's interesting to Morgan Collum, Molly's close relative, is we're not hearing anything about a struggle within the home. We're not hearing anything about a forced entry trying to figure out who Molly would have let into the home or with no struggle, her cell phone missing. I agree with her mom. It's hard to figure out which way to go. Morgan, what do you have to say to everyone listening now? I would just encourage everybody to stay vigilant. And if they see anything, please call it in. We've been told that there's no such thing as a tip too small because you never know what piece of information could help to bring Molly home. Morgan, tell me about Molly. I mean, I see the beautiful photo of her and the big smile. What What is Molly like? Yeah. The smile matches the personality completely. Uh, Molly's very caring. She's helpful. She's funny. She's smart. She loves to help um, anybody that needs help. She's got a great laugh. She's just somebody that if you didn't know her, you would want to be friends with her. You would want to spend time with her because she's such a light. You know, she just radiates positivity and She's she's amazing. What was she studying, Morgan? Psychology, and um, it's interesting. She actually had to take a foreign language course at her uh, at the University of Iowa, and she actually chose sign language, which I think is is really cool. So, but that's not her main course of study. She was studying psychology. She is studying psychology. The very latest right now, the missing University of Iowa student, just twenty years old, breaking now, was not kidnapped while on a jog she returned to the boyfriend's house after the jog sending him a final snapchat before she mysteriously seemingly disappears off the face of the earth right now we know the fbi has taken command of the investigation and they are focusing on her digital footprint including data they are obtaining from her fitbit tracker there has been an extensive volunteer search effort all around her home, out into cornfields where she may have run. There is a reward right now for information on Molly's disappearance. Boyfriend and boyfriend's brother ruled out. That's very rare. You hear that up front. They have been ruled out. Where is Molly Tibbetts? Tip line 800-452-1111. Take a listen to Molly's mother. If it were me that were missing, Molly wouldn't give up hope. Um, that's not a thought. You won't see me giving up hope. There's, that's, that's not an option. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's Best Hybrid Mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner.